0: Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights
1: Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us today online. If you would like to connect with us, you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to our Instagram, or you can go to
0: our website at heightschurch.org. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, family. How are you guys doing? Man, it's so good to see you guys. A blessing. Praise God. Thank you for that, brother. Um, you know, before I get started, I heard earlier there were some some technical issues with the online group that they could actually hear the service, but they couldn't see the service. So, for those of you that are listening, uh, my name is Chris Clemens. I'm the pastor of way of Life Church. And if you want to try to kind of put a picture to the face, uh, I basically, if you just remove the fame, fortune, and good looks, I'm the same as George Clooney. Okay. <laughs> Just want you to know that. You, you, and you laugh too long. That, that, praise God. <laughs> you guys feeling good? Are you feeling good? Okay. Are Are you feeling grateful? All right. Are you feeling prosperous? Anybody feeling prosperous? Ooh, it got lower. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're feeling prosperous. All right, and keep your hands up. Somebody from the finance team wanted to take pictures. (laughs) I actually want to talk to you about money, believe it or not. Um, And just this whole idea of of prosperity. Uh, Prosperity can impact us in different ways. We recognize if you're not doing well uh, financially, that it doesn't just impact finances can facilitate anxiety, depression, a lot of negative behaviors. Families are impacted by finances. And, you know, we are in a season with inflation and things are high. People who were doing well a few years ago aren't doing as well now. Y'all know a box of cereal is like five bucks. Do y'all know that? Whoever does the grocery shopping, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's rough. And we would think, okay, you know, if if the answer is if I have more money, then things would be better, right? I wouldn't have as much anxiety. There'd be some security. But that's not always the case. There was a study done by Purdue University in 2018 that I found very interesting, right? It talked about how uh, not having finances impacts a person, just like we all would recognize, right? The anxiety and Substance abuse on and so forth. But they found that there's actually a sweet spot when it comes to people feeling good about life, and it was related to a certain amount of money. All right? Anybody want to take a shot on the amount of money that people actually felt pretty good about life? There was a range. It was 60 to 75,000 dollars. As an individual, people felt good. And then as an evaluation of their life, if they made $95,000. Isn't that something? That they felt good. You know, this study was done in 2018. So now, you know, that's about, you know, $2.3 million. (laughs) But but here's what's funny um, about this is that after you got to have more than $95,000, the feeling of contentment declined. Isn't that something? You figure the more that I have, the better I'd feel. But what they stu- the study revealed is as you moved away from needs being met, you started to move more into comparing yourself with other people. And because you didn't have what other people had, you started to not feel as as content. Now, you know, why, why are we talking about all of this uh, now? As a Christian, should Christians be prosperous? Right? You've heard of the prosperity gospel, right? Uh, one of the pastors who is the picture of that genre of belief, a guy named Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland said, for you to be Christian and to not be rich says that there's a problem. That's what he says. And here's, here's the kicker, y'all. Based on what he said, I will agree. Now, where do I get this from? We're going to look at where I get this from. But before we get there, I want us to pray. I want us to pray that the Holy Spirit be our teacher And that we understand exactly what he wants us to understand from his word. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity and this blessing to encounter your word. For you to be our teacher, Holy Spirit. That we wouldn't just simply know more or know better. But that we would ultimately live better because of your word. God, forgive us of anything that we have done, said, that would hinder us from receiving your truth. And I'm praying, God, that we would be impacted so much by your truth that we would not only be transformed, but we would transform those around us. God, I thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all, today I want to talk to you about the prosperity gospel, all right? And we're going to look in Revelation chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to come and read with me. Open your apps. Revelation chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 22. And it's my understanding you guys have been in Revelation for a while, but basically just a way to kind of think about what we're reading. This is a group text it is a group text sent by Jesus' best friend to seven churches in what is currently Turkey, right? Asia Minor. And this last portion of the text is to the pastor of a church in a place called Laodicea. And so let's read this, this, this group text together. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can you imagine getting that text message? This pastor basically gets a message from Jesus via John that his church makes Jesus sick to his stomach. Wow. What an evaluation. And the language is so stark, right? We wouldn't imagine that coming from Jesus, right? We think of grace and and bunny rabbits and butterflies. But Jesus says in that, I rebuke those whom I love. And I need to rebuke you. I need to correct you because you guys aren't in a good place. And he tells them why they're not in a good place, and it's connected to prosperity. Now he uses some language, you know, and he, he talks about how they're not hot or cold. They're lukewarm. Let me give you some background on that. Laodicea had an aqueduct where they would get their water, but it came from six miles away from a place called Heropolis. So six miles away was a hot spring, hot water, right? And we we can recognize the benefits of hot water, right? It's soothing. When you ache, it can can heal. And so there are benefits to hot water. But we also recognize the the goodness of, of cold water, right? It's very refreshing. You know, if you've been depleted by the sun, it can give you energy. Well, this water traveling six miles on slopes to make it to Laodicea, started off hot, but didn't arrive cold. It arrived lukewarm, and it would make people sick. And Jesus is saying, you're just like your water, right? You're basically good for nothing. You're not a benefit. You're not an improvement. You're not refreshing. Just good for nothing, water, and it makes me sick. And what was it about the church that makes them sick? Was it that they were unloving? He didn't say that. Was it because they weren't generous people? Didn't say that. Look at what it says. Let's pay attention to what it says. Starting at verse 17, it says, For you say, so this is an explanation. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, poor, Blind and naked. He's saying the issue is they have a wrong understanding of themselves. They believe that they are prosperous, and by the world standard, they are absolutely prosperous. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a rich church. You can imagine a mega church back in the day. They're not the place that's just kind of huddled in a small uh, a cottage meeting at night by candlelight. They can meet out in the open and they dress well. They don't know the persecution that are seen in other places where their businesses are impacted, where their livelihoods are impacted. No, we can live the way that we've been living. And so there's this beautiful church and people will look at it. Man, they're doing well. That's the church to join. But Jesus says, that's the poorest church in all of Asia. And he uses some language there. He talks about, you know, you you, you think you're dressed well when you're naked. You're blind, right? He uses this language, but it's intentional. Let me tell you all about the economy in Laodicea, where some of their wealth, they were part of the banking district of that area and the whole city was wealthy, okay? So it was just a wealthy city. The, 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 the historian recorded an earthquake in the time that damaged some of the buildings. Y'all, they had an amphitheater, a stadium that held 37,000 people, right? Now, that's small compared to our high school stadiums today in Texas, but, but y'all get the point. They had an earthquake that knocked down more, many of those buildings. And so Rome said, listen, we'll, we'll declare it a disaster area and send some funds to help you rebuild. Laodicea said, no, we'll take care of it ourselves. That's how much money they had. And part of the economy was driven by, they had a medical school that produced an ointment. They called it Phrygian ointment. It was an eyesal. And not only was it this eyesal driving the economy, but they also were high when it came to fashion. You see, you know, normally togas would be white, but theirs weren't white. It was black. Now, you know, what, what, what's the difference there? You, have you heard of you know the black sheep of the family? You know, referring to somebody, you know, not necessarily being treated like the other members of the family. You know, I, I, I'm the black sheep of the family. Anybody heard that? Now, y'all I can tell y'all when I was growing up, I was like, well, why the black sheep is getting mistreated? I'm just, going, I'm being honest. I'm like, what, what's? Let me explain what that is. Because most sheep were white, right? And so the wool that you could sell would be white. And so if you had one black sheep, that just throws off your wool count. That's what it meant. It was just economics. Now, it's different when all your sheep are black, right? And that's what they had in Laodicea. And so you could only get the black toga and stand out from Laodicea. And the black robes. And so imagine all of these high dollar people going into church each and every Sunday. But Jesus says the reality of your situation is you're blind, naked, and poor. Everything that you think brings value to your life, you score a zero with men. Have you ever taken a test and thought you aced it? Right? You know, you came out of that test, man, I did great, feeling good. And as those scores came back, you know, maybe back in the day, they used to print them on the wall. OK, I'm old school. Now you get sued for that. I'm just. <laughs> and you're looking, OK, and you're looking because they, they would have the grades ordered, right? And so you start at the top looking at your name. Wait a minute. My name's out not there. OK. OK. <laughs> and you finally see your score. Right? Anybody can identify with that? And it's devastating. But here's what that reveals. That reveals you have a fundamental misunderstanding about the subject. It's not that you're a little off. There's something fundamentally off. And what was fundamentally off with the Laodiceans was their idea of prosperity. They thought prosperity was about their bank accounts, about their finances. And it's not about the bank account. Let me tell you why this is relative. Because you may think, okay, I don't have to deal with this, because I'm not that prosperous person. When I asked about how many you felt prosperous, it was a little lower than the people that felt just thankful. And so you're thinking, okay, well, I'm not prosperous, so this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not the wealthy person that has that believes they have arrived. But if you are a person who is anxious because you don't have money, if you are a person who feels like you're not blessed because of the financial issues going on in your life, you're demonstrating a Laodicean theology that my finances correlate with my spiritual well-being. Right? If, you, if you've ever said, you know what, I don't know if praying is something I ought to do because I've been praying about my finances and things had, hadn't changed. I don't know about going to work. I'm just going to work overtime because right now he's not changing my financial situations. You're demonstrating a Laodicean theology. That some kind of way, if I'm good financially, I'm good with God. If I'm bad financially, maybe something's going on with my relationship with God. Either he doesn't like me or maybe I'm not liking him too much. And the thing that we have to change is understanding the nature of prosperity. Now, now I mentioned the prosperity gospel, you know, and how money is co- as, as as this belief that as a Christian, with some groups, you ought to be rich. I mentioned Kenneth Copeland, and, and I absolutely agree with that. I don't agree that rich is in dollars and cents. That's where I disagree. Because here we see in black and white a church that had lots of dollars and sins, but they didn't have it where it counted. They were broke. Y'all, that's the first thing I want you to know, that having the wrong understanding of prosperity will leave you broke. That's what was going on with Laodicea. There's all the effort and energy that are is given towards an area that really won't make a difference. Now you know, for those of you that think or maybe, maybe watching that money is the way that some kind of way my faith will relate to money and and being rich financially, I, I absolutely believe it. I, you need to read the New Testament, okay? Because if you read the New Testament, you'll read that money is very rarely put in a positive place. There is a parable called the parable of the Rich fool. Not the rich wise guy. The rich fool. There's passages over and over about how thinking money is a good thing is actually not a good thing for you and I. That the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, the word of God says. And so he doesn't put money up on a pedestal as something, you know what, we ought to all be praying for. Now, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had that huge lottery, right? $2 billion. $2 billion. Do y'all know how many Christians played the lottery? All of them. Matter of fact, all of them were Christians, at least when they were checking their numbers, right? He's <laughs> like, I don't know if you're real Jesus, but <laughs> sure would be nice. But think about what we do, what we sacrifice financially, and the Bible doesn't really promote that. This is James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his exaltation humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with his scorching heat and withers the grass. His flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also with a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Do y'all see that? Now the Bible is not criticizing you for having wealth. It's saying you're not in a, in the best position because money, some kind of way dealing with our sinful nature blinds us to some stuff that we get connected with it, that it can compete with God. Y'all know money is the only thing that the New Testament says competes with God when it comes to worship. You can't serve both God and, not the devil, not some other false god. You can't serve God and money. Jesus taught that to his disciples in Matthew chapter six. So there's something about wealth That tends to trip us up. And so if you're in a place where you don't have a lot of wealth, the New Testament says that's a good place to be. And if you're in a place where you have a lot of wealth, it tells you to be very careful. And so, okay, well, if money isn't prosperous, then how? How? Can I be prosperous? Should I be prosperous? The passage actually says he wants us to be rich. Did y'all remember reading that? That he absolutely wants us to be rich. In in verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Do y'all see that? It'd be great. You know, we would think he's just going to leave that off if if, if he doesn't want us to be rich. He, He wants the church to be rich, but he wants us to be rich in the right way. And he lets us know that the source of prior, pr- prosperity is not in cryptocurrency, especially right now. It's not in any earthly investment, it's in him. That our path to prosperity is in Jesus Christ. Now, the, the prosperity gospel would believe that too. I remember Kenneth Copeland, um, you know, and Kenneth Copeland, y'all, like I say, prosperity pastor. Uh, Worth eight hundred million dollars. Eight hundred million. Okay. I'm in the same career, Lee. I mean, did some Bible passages just fall out? What happened? He, He tells a story about a man buying a ticket on a boat. And this person spent all their money to get this ticket, right? And they were actually going to America. And so they saved up all their money, bought the ticket, knew they wouldn't have money, you know, for anything as far as food. So they packed a bunch of crackers to eat to make it through the voyage. And each day on that voyage, they would pass by the dining hall and see everybody just eating, you know, these luxurious meals. It's just, man, the cuisine that was wonderful and the smells but each day he went to his cap and it would break out his crackers to eat and so on the last day of the voyage they were just about to arrive in america some of the stewards came and knocked on the door when he answered they said well sir whatever we've done to offend you we're so sorry and he's like well what do you mean he says the fact they said for so the fact that you never came to the the dining hall we figured we had offended you in some form or fashion And the man said, well, no, you hadn't offended me. I I just couldn't afford what you guys were eating there. I saved up all my money just to be on board. And they looked at him so sadly. They said, sir, the dining hall came with the ticket that you being on board paid for all the meals. And so Kenneth Copeland says that in the same way that when you come to faith in Christ Jesus, Right? When you profess your faith and are saved from your sins, you also get the benefit of what you've invested in. And so you're not just saved, but you have all of these earthly blessings. And he says finances is one of them. Now, I agree with the analogy. I disagree with the application. Right? I don't know if you necessarily will get the finances, but you will get what the finances are used for. Will God meet your needs? Absolutely. We look at finances for provision. We look at finances for protection. God will protect you. He will keep you, but he doesn't promise to give you the means that you'd like to have to do that. See, Jesus is not just the source of prosperity. He's the substance of prosperity. That is, is the definition of prosperity, right? Of you understanding he's not just the means. I don't just kind of go to church in order to live a life so he gets to bless me with all these finances. No, he is the life. I'm not just going and praying, you know, so that I can have more happiness in my life. No, no, he is my joy. You see, Jesus is saying, conduct business with me, right? You don't have any money, but you can buy something from me. And you can be clothed with different clothes, right? He says white robes. Now here, he's not talking about the color of the sheep. He's talking about being dressed in his righteousness. He's not talking about receiving sight so that you can improve to 2020 vision, but being able to see the world with truth. And if you buy from me, (laughs) you can't help but be rich. You can't help but be prosperous. That's why I love how it it ends, right? It gives us a picture of what was really wrong with the Laodicean church. It wasn't just this mentality about what we have. They were missing something. Because here's what he said in the text. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears me and lets me in, I'll come in and dine with him. And he with me. With all the stuff that the church had. Jesus was on the outside. They didn't have that intimate relationship with the Lord. They had all sorts of comforts. And they had this faux kind of peace because of their comforts. But they were missing an intimate relationship with the Lord. You know, I wanna encourage you to do a, a spiritual audit. And I don't want you to worry about, you know, or think about, okay, where are my finances? Where's Jesus in my life? Have I in some kind of way put him on the outside looking in? Or is my joy, my peace, all of my efforts in this relationship with God Everything that God has done is about facilitating and, and making this relationship possible, right? All the way back from the garden, ladies and gentlemen. It's about bringing us back, tabernacle, getting a little bit closer, right? That tabernacle was called a tent of meeting for Moses, a way that he could interact as a man would with his friend. And we move from a temple to being indwelt with the God's Holy Spirit until one day we get a chance to be with him for all eternity face to face. But man, can you imagine the time the joy squandered? Because I don't have time to pray. I don't have time for God's word. There's too much going on in my life. That sounds like a poor person. Rich people really rich people (laughs) know where their prosperity lies. And the good thing is the economy can never take away your prosperity. And so I want to encourage you. (laughs) I love that this harsh language is met with this harsh kind of love. There's an invitation to change. To change your mind. That's what the word repent means. And to let Jesus in and commune with him. Because communing with him now relates to communing with him for all time. That in the most meager place you meet him, it will correlate in the future to the very best place. To sit on the throne with him. Oh my goodness, y'all. I can't even... Fathom that, but I am looking forward to it. So in your day, when you normally been busy, I want you to open that door, open that door when you're brushing your teeth in the morning and just thank him that you got some teeth to brush. Amen. <laughs> when you're stressed out on a job, cause things aren't working the way that you would like for them to work, open that door. And thank him for the level of health that you have, the opportunity to impact those people on your job. And if you get a chance to go home and you're feeling tired and the kids are coming and the spouse is coming, you don't feel like you have any energy, open that door and thank Jesus for those little arms and legs running around you. And that spouse that may be fussing at you. But even if you don't have all of those things, you still have Jesus. So I want you to be rich, y'all. I actually agree with Kenneth Copeland that every Christian ought to be rich. But you got to be rich in the right place. And so if you're here today and, and you recognize, you know what? I haven't been rich in the right way. And I've been chasing things that really won't amount to anything. Or maybe I have thought I have arrived because of the material things around me. Maybe you realize now I need to do something with Jesus in my life. I want you to pray. I want you to pray right now. You you know, you know what I've learned? The best time to pray is now. If you ever get a thought, you know, I should pray. That now is the time. And so wherever you are, I want to invite you to pray. I don't know if, if people will be here to pray with you here. If you want someone to pray with you. I even encourage you to, you know, maybe ask the person next to you if you're comfortable. Hey, can I pray for you? But we want to let Jesus in. You know, most get rich plans or schemes because they're earthly but a changed heart is an immediate way to get rich quick y'all know that and so i'm praying that heights baptist church and anybody else watching right now i'm praying that we all get a little richer right now in prayer i want you to join in prayer heavenly father i thank you so much for the blessing of your word and this invitation. Lord, I am praying for every heart that has recognized they've allowed the world to sit in your place. Lives that have been filled with anxiety, and sadness, and depression about earthly things that we have in some way evaluated them as greater than you. And so right now, we ask for your forgiveness of that. And we know and acknowledge that there's nothing greater than we could have or experience than you that your apostle Paul talked about he had suffered the loss of everything and he counted it all as rubbish compared to knowing you. And so I thank you that right now you didn't go up in a far place and shut the door on me and on us. But even if we've pushed you out, You stand at the door knocking and calling to get back here. And so right now, God, I want you in everything, in every area of my life. I want you in my heart. I want to be thinking about you more. I I want you in my finances. I want you in my marriage. I want you with my children. I want you at my job, at my school. I want you in everything. And I want to be with you in each of those places. And so, God, I thank you for the love that would not leave me alone. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.
1: I want to thank you for watching today's message. I just want to ask you one simple question as we close our time together today. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? See, that, that's a very key question because I didn't just ask, do you know Jesus? But do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? My story is that I grew up going to church. I was in a house where going to church on a Sunday morning was not really an option. Uh, the joke in my house with my dad was, if I came to him and said, Hey, Dad, I don't want to go to church today. Uh, he would look at me and say, Well, do you want to eat lunch later? Because we're going to eat lunch after church. And all those that go to church get to eat lunch. And so I, I was brought in a home where I was at church all the time. I was you know, one of those that went to Sunday school, vacation Bible school. Anytime the doors were open, my family was there. And so I grew up hearing about Jesus I grew up knowing about Jesus, but it was at the age of 14, one night in my bedroom, that I realized I didn't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I've always been a Christian. I've always loved Jesus. And you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. Instead, the Bible teaches that you and I have to make a personal, conscious decision to follow Jesus in our lives. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter three, that you have to be born again. That there has to be a time in your life where you said, yes, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I'm gonna ask you that question again. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you made that decision in your life to follow him by faith? And so one night in my bedroom, like I said, it was in the month of August. I decided as a 14-year-old right then and there I was going to be a believer in Jesus and I placed my faith and trust in Him. And maybe right now where you are, you're ready today to say, I want to be a believer in Christ, to have my sins forgiven, to know that I can have a relationship with God now that lasts throughout all of eternity so that when I die, I go to heaven to be with Him because I've trusted in what Christ has done for me. So I'm going to lead in a time of prayer And if you're ready today, right where you are, to become a believer in Christ, you can pray along with me because God knows our hearts and that's what's key in this, but you may not know how to form the words to say. So let me just form some words with you and just pray right now. Father God, I am ready to become a believer in Jesus. Right now today, I trust Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I confess my sin to you and now I'm ready to follow Christ as the one who's forgiven me of my sin, dying on the cross for me, being raised from the grave to forgive me and give me new life. Thank you, God, for loving me. Friend, I want to just thank you. If you prayed with us today, we want to hear from you. You can let us know that by going to heightschurch.org connect. There's going to be a decision button right there on the website that you can fill out a very short form that's going to come right to me. And we would love to follow up with you, pray with you, help you just take your simple next steps of faith. And so thank you for watching. We would love to see you in person if you're in our area. uh, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. are our life groups, 1030 a.m. is our worship service. And so until we see each other again, God bless.